Welcome to the ABCs of Matrescence. We are Emma and Mackenzie, two mamas with toddler age boys. Here we chat all things real motherhood from A to Z and everything in between. Matrescence is the process of becoming a mother and that is exactly what we dive into each and every episode. So welcome guys. Thank you for coming back and joining us. We have a super exciting topic and guest today. Um, As you can hear, I am solo. This is Emma. I'm all by my lonesome, but I have an awesome guest. Um, So yeah, we are going to talk about honestly the most requested subject that we've had thus far um it's popular sometimes controversial and that is why we are bringing an expert on so last week you heard me and Mackenzie ramble about all of our sleep woes which probably means we should have invited our guest on way 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 earlier i won't lie we put out a call for questions you guys submitted a bunch which is so fun and selfishly i'm definitely going to sneak in a few of my own so welcome ariel to the podcast thank you well, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate your time. And yeah, we just want to know, first, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your family, and we love, you know, we're all still in the time of COVID. So mm. I'd love to hear just kind of what life is like on your end. Sure. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I live in central Massachusetts about, without traffic, 45 minutes outside of Boston, um, in a little farm town, right to farm community. Um, with my almost six-year-old daughter and my boyfriend, um, family life. So I am a divorced mom, which is sometimes different for these podcasts, as I find. Um, I have 50-50 custody of my daughter, which has been <laughs> actually um, sort of a blessing in this. I started to say that, but I was like, I don't yes. want to sound rude. No, like, not rude at I'm all. Like, I, I honestly sometimes like only 50% of my I'm telling days. you, it's especially in, in this COVID quarantine time, um, I don't know how I could continue to run my business if I yeah. didn't have that time um, to work, which sounds really selfish, but at the same time, it, it's not selfish because I provide for my child and she loves her time with me and I, you know, I pri- provide her a home and, you know, school and all that great stuff. So I have to not feel that mom guilt, but I mean, I do, I look at my friends who have even just one child home with them right now and it's, it's a lot. I it's don't a know lot. how full-time working parents are doing it from home while they're trying to take care of, especially I have a friend who works full-time from home. She's three kids. Yes. She's also supposed to be like teaching them and being a homeschool teacher. I it's, it's just not possible. So. Yeah. And my child doesn't listen to me. She doesn't want to learn from me. She wants to learn from her teachers and people Absolutely. who were taught to do that. For. Yeah, for I'm sure. here to be her parent and for her to, you know, stand up to me and <laughs> not push those boundaries. Yeah, exactly. And Kids um, act their full expression of themselves with mom and dad. With mommy. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been, um, it's challenging. And she, you know, being She's currently five, and when we went into the quarantine, she well, it was March, and she was in a pre full time pre K program, and I have a Zoom account for my business, and so I reached out and I said, hey, let's do some Zoom visits with the classroom so the kids can see their friends and their teachers. First time we did it, she loved it. After that, she could not be bothered. I mean, the remote thing, she's like, I don't even want to do this. She checked out, so I stopped, I stopped offering because I'm like, okay, we're not, we're not going to do this, but I don't know how I'm going to do 100% remote kindergarten. That's, that's my next challenge. So that's what life has currently been like for me on top of running my business, Expect to Sleep Again. Well, speaking um, of your business, why yeah. don't you tell us a little bit more about that? So baby sleep is a mystery to many, including myself at many points. So what kind of inspired you to uh, start a business to help families navigate it? Yeah, I had no idea that this business even existed. I had no idea that this profession existed. I will say I am one of those people that um, that needs sleep. And so in gearing up for parenthood, I was kind of like, hoping for the best. Maybe I'll be lucky and I'll have one of those children that sleeps through the night as soon as I bring them home from the hospital. Um, maybe this won't be as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I was, I was very, very wrong. <laughs> so, you know, me yeah. So my child is what inspired me to start this. And I shouldn't even say that it was, um, my child inspired me. Well, I should back up. My child 
brought me to the lowest level <laughs> of, of life for a little bit. I was, I was just so, so exhausted physically, mentally. I had a horrible um, pregnancy. I got, I got preeclampsia. I had a really tough delivery. Then I had complications at delivery that left me with um, very, you know, more recovery than necessary. I had to have surgery eight days after giving birth. Oh, this wow. is a very long recovery. And then on top of that, I was nursing. I was doing the whole new mom thing, trying to keep this newborn alive. And um, I was just, I was exhausted. And I was supposed to go back to work at three and a half months. And three and a half months is actually a pretty long maternity leave, unfortunately. Doesn't feel like it, but in our country. It's in very our sad in our country. country yes, yep. That is actually a longer one. Yes. It, and yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. I was just, I, I was, I remember I was crying on the bathroom floor saying, you know, thinking to myself, how am I even going to get through the day? I, I just don't even know. And I reached out to social media, friends, family, what do I do? How do I help this child sleep? And everyone had ideas, but nothing felt right. And I really just needed a roadmap. I needed someone to just say, <clears throat> this is exactly what you need to do. And I'm going to help you through it. And a friend of mine reached out and she said, listen, I have the sleep consultant. Call her. Your life will change. And I was kind of just like, um, well, $350, that's a lot of money. I don't know. How am I going to convince my husband? Um, but my mother was so, my mother was an angel and she said, let me buy you a birthday present. Let me get you a sleep consultant. And my friend was 100% right. Within two weeks of hiring my consultant, my life completely changed. And I always describe it. If anyone has ever listened to any of my other podcasts or anything, they'll hear me describe it the exact same way every single time. It was like the clouds parted and all of a sudden the sun came out. Um, I was physically rested. I was mentally in a better place. I enjoyed being a mom all of a sudden. Before that, I was... I questioned everything I did. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is my baby happy? Am I happy? Um, once I was well rested, we were in a good routine. It was like a whole new life. And I kind of caught this bug of wanting to spread this new, um, newfound knowledge to other people because everywhere I looked, I saw people in that same place of desperation. I saw parents who um, had to go back to work and they didn't have support from other people and they were up all night and baby wasn't napping, baby was, you know, waking every hour. And, and how do you go on as a, as a productive member of society, let alone a productive parent when you're in that kind of cloud? So I have to credit my daughter's lack of sleep, um, with leading me down this path. And then the inspiration was, you know, I felt this, like it saved my life. And I wanted to help save other people that were in this same position. I love that. And I mean, uh, I, I truly do believe our kids are our, our biggest teachers. Oh, they absolutely. They humble us in all the ways. And I, as my child gets older, you know, I think I'm teaching him things. But the reality is he is teaching me much, Every day. much, much, much more than I'm going to ever be able to teach him. But I think that's amazing. And you're, you were totally right. You cannot be a, a great mom and a great parent no. and a great worker when you are completely sleep deprived. And right. Now that I'm used to sleeping and it's so funny when we do have kind of an off night or something screws up my sleep and I'm like in a fog the next day, I'm like, how did I yeah. function like yes. this for months and months and months? Like yeah. it is, it, it makes you crazy and it does make you have the inability to make very good rational decisions. So I think that's so what's so cool about having a sleep consultant is you almost do need like a third party person yes. to help guide you along the way and and don't get me wrong I think you you also do know your kid but at that point sometimes you can't think clearly enough to just go through almost a scientific method of you know way absolutely to go through the system so yeah or to even know okay is this normal is this right am I doing this absolutely. right you know I mean I think a lot of people are headed down the right path but then 
you know, one night is extra bad and they throw in the towel and it's like, you know, it's just hard to know, especially as a new parent. But I would say even returning parents, because every baby is different from the next. So a lot of times I get people who are like, my first child was nothing like this. I don't even know what to do with this one. So funny. I have a friend definitely going through that right now. Her first slept like an angel and her second slept, um, wakes up every two hours. Yeah. And the exact same. I'm like, yep, every kid is different. Yeah. You never know. So it's so true. That's amazing. So um, before we dive into questions, because we did get so many questions, so we're going to kind of turn this into a fun rapid fire, semi rapid fire. I'm not oh going to I never, I never do rapid fire, but um, I, don't, I don't speak that quickly. But um, I kind of do want to just go ahead and get out front and address the topic of sleep training, because I'm definitely sure. in my share of mom groups. And I feel like it's controversial. I feel like it's divisive and people, either your team sleep training, which automatically it means you stick your newborn in a room, shut the door for 12 hours and never go back inside or your team, you know, nurse on demand, don't get any sleep too bad for you, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's just these extremes like anything right now. I feel like Mm -hmm. extremes are at least the loudest. So I would love for you to just kind of explain your philosophy and sleep training and kind of how you work with families on an individual basis to find what's right for for them well first of all i hate the term sleep training i, I just, do too it's Thank so you for saying divisive that. it's it sounds so, like it's a dog that it is not a dog and yeah. quite frankly the people that were quote-unquote training are not babies they are the parents yes <laughs> i um, am more 100%. of a parenting coach than i am you know training a baby to do anything if anything we're teaching we're teaching new skills we're teaching parents how to respond to certain cues from their child we're trying to help them decipher between are they tired are they hungry um do they need more activity sometimes children will show that they're tired and a parent will put them down but really they're just bored Mm -hmm. so it's it you know it's a real it's It doesn't need to be divisive. What we know from science is that children need a lot of sleep. Babies and children need a lot of sleep. Until age six, you're still looking at, um, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. That's still a lot of sleep at age six. And and even going into the young um, school age, you're still looking at nine to 12 hours. So, and that can vary greatly from child to child. So you have to, you have to look at it, um, less as a my you know a parenting thing where I need sleep so I need to sleep train my baby it's more like let's figure out how to maximize this child's sleep so that they're happy and healthy and well and they're able to develop um properly that was exactly my experience and actually kind of turned us to okay we have to figure out some better ways to help him sleep mm-hmm. because he was just a different kiddo you know the yeah. nights he would sleep well he was he was great during the day he was happy he yes. was enjoyable and then the nights he wouldn't he just was miserable in there yes. yes we were miserable too but really I cared that I was worried that you know developmentally it was so important that he get yep. better sleep and you know I didn't want to see him him miserable too so yeah. right and the thing is is I think a lot of times <clears throat> people just equate sleep training with crying it out and there's really a lot of misconception there because yes so when we change anything up with a child um, whatever that may be when we start to put boundaries in place it's their job to fight that it's their job to push back it's their job well, and they have no other way they to have communicate n- that when what pre-verbal children have no other way to communicate frustration exhaustion um, hunger And so crying is kind of, you know, it's something that happens and it's going to happen even in gentler methods. But like, imagine I, you know, sometimes I talk and I talk about the crying thing. Um, One thing I was saying is I I had this dad one time who was, who was really trying to understand that whole idea that you can be present with a child while they're going through their emotions and help them work through it but they're probably going to show emotion. And he was trying to, you know, grasp it. And I said, well, what would you do if every meal, your toddler, pre-verbal toddler asked for chocolate or candy and, you know, would always grab for candy? You would say no, right? And And he said, yes. And I said, well, what would he do if you said no? And he said, he'd cry. And he's like, and I said, well, my point, <laughs> exactly, you know, if you, if you're trying to just kind of change things up on a child, they're going to respond with emotion and um, as adults do. 
And so I think we need to understand what crying is. We need to understand um, how crying plays a role in any sort of <laughs> boundary shaping, but we also need to understand supportive, you know, being supportive as a child learns something, as a child learns boundaries, begins to understand boundaries, learns right from wrong, things like that. The other thing is that there are methods that you don't just have, you know, I don't, people don't hire me and I don't say shut the door, let the child cry. We need to look at the full picture and we need to um, think about the child's temperament. They, some children do way better with a parent sitting next to them and they start to understand it. Others need a little bit of space to just be like, okay, I get it. Like, I need to figure this out. And, and they do well with that. Um, but this isn't just simply, sleep training is not shut the door and never go back in. The, it, it needs to stop being equated with that because it's so much more than that. And it's also so much more than a method. I think a lot of people get stuck on the method and there's so much more involved in what we do as sleep consultants than just implementing a method. Anybody can implement a method, but you need to have other things in place. You need to have an age appropriate schedule. You need to look at their feeding schedule and how that's affecting um, <clears throat> sleep even during the day. A lot of times I get parents that don't realize that their child is not getting enough food during the day and that's why they're waking so frequently overnight. Something that our pediatricians don't teach us enough. Uh, they don't have enough time because insurance doesn't allow them to spend enough time with us to talk about these things. Um, so looking at and looking at the environment, maybe, uh, maybe it's too bright, maybe it's too loud. And, you know, there's so many different things that come into play when we look at children's sleep, and it's not simply here, you're going to use this method and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, we're done. You know, it's, it's just not, it's not that simple. So I look at it as a learning process. I look at it as a coaching process for the, for really the parents. And then when everything kind of, I look at it as a puzzle, you have to have every piece of the puzzle in place in order to be successful. And I think that's where a lot of parents go wrong in trying to attempt it themselves and be in the fact that they just look up a method, they try to implement that, but it's so much more than that. There's so much more that goes into sleep and good sleep. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's just so helpful for parents to have that supportive hand and person to talk it over with because it can get overwhelming. And sometimes I know I personally Googled everything and read far too many books and articles. And then I was trying to change 10 different things at one time and felt like what's not working, what, you know, so I just became a hot mess and couldn't think straight. So I think that's exactly why, yeah, working with somebody individually to assess the, uh, you know, entire picture, as you said, it is is so valuable for right. people. And as you talked about earlier, it is funny, it is an investment and people can be so reluctant to invest in something like that, yet we'll buy all the crazy yes. baby toys and crap yes. in the entire world. Yes. And so, you know, I almost wish instead of like at a baby shower or for, you know, a, a gift for a family, instead of buying them more onesies or more whatever, you know, give them a gift certificate for some, some yes. coaching support or, Absolutely. or just other services that are really practical. So, yes. yeah. It's a worthy investment, trust me, as somebody who, um, as we'll get to later, ordered Merlin and Billy and other sleep <laughs> outfits. I, I started to say costumes, which is probably Yeah, I mean, more, they kind of are. Yeah, term. yeah. Um, yeah, save your money on Amazon and yeah, reach out to somebody individually. So well, thank you for sharing that about your business. So yeah. as I said, we received kind of an overwhelming amount of questions. So we're just going to jump in. Are you ready? Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. So this was definitely a popular one and one I experienced. So help my two week old won't nap anywhere but on me every time I lay them in a bassinet. It's a cry fest. What, mm. what gives what is that normal? Completely normal. You have to remember that um, newborns. So we, we classify newborns as basically any baby age zero, right out of the womb up to up through the third month. That's really a newborn. Um, and so that's kind of a long period of time. And you have to understand too, that this child, a two week old is really just brand new to this world. Um, and so they're, they're trying to figure out life outside of the womb. Um, and it's, it's extremely normal for a baby, a newborn this age to still really crave a lot of cuddling, closeness with mom, um, or dad, any caregiver, and need to be held. Um, it, it's, I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, 
So is there a certain age you would say you want to at least start practicing maybe some bassinet sleep or sure. that seems reasonable to work towards, which I know yeah, everybody's I mean, different. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's never too soon to try. It, it, the thing with newborns is if you try and you, if the child and the baby is like just angry, you pick them up right away. It's mm-hmm. a it's a trial and error thing, and honestly, newborn sleep changes so drastically within that three month period. They go through so much physically, cognitively, and and their sleep starts to develop in that time. That one week they may fight going into the bassinet. Other weeks, the next week they're sleeping overnight in the bassinet. It just never hurts to try. So you may take a few days, see how it goes. If it doesn't work. Do not beat yourself up over it. It's a newborn. So you you cannot spoil a newborn. Okay. No, no, because newborns do not have established circadian rhythms when it comes to sleep. They don't develop melatonin until the very earliest six weeks, um, but it's not fully developed until much later, closer to four months. So their awesome. sleep patterns are erratic. So, yep. you know, do not beat yourself up over sleep or lack thereof <laughs> when it comes I think to that's newborns. Fabulous advice. I wish I had gotten that earlier and just let it go. So yeah, it's hard. Yep. So what is sleeping through the night? I hear a lot of I think parents expecting when their child quote unquote starts sleeping through the night that automatically means you know, you put them down at 630 and they're just going to sleep till 630 in the morning. So right. what does that mean? And what's kind of an age appropriate timeline for that? Age appropriate is when the baby is ready. (laughs) Um, And it can vary so greatly. I wish I could say, well, by X month, this is going to happen. But it varies so greatly. Like I said, some people come home. It's kind of crazy, too. Some people come home and they have to wake their newborn in the very beginning to feed them overnight. And once they're, I know, you come back, you come back, baby comes back to birth weight, you don't have to wake them anymore. But then they get to say three or four months when those sleep patterns develop, and all of a sudden, they're not sleeping through the night anymore. Um, And that that happens a lot. Other people so you know, the thing is, is that it is still age appropriate for six month olds to have a night feeding. Um, Just because you're quote unquote, sleep training doesn't mean you're getting a baby to sleep. 12 to, you know, 12 hours overnight without any interruption. We have to remember these are growing babies, they're growing children, and their their needs vary greatly. Um, and I, you know, some, I, I might have an 11-month-old that still needs a feeding for some, for some reading, for some yeah, reason. I had some medical too. reason, His you know. His name is my child. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, some children have, um, you know, reflux or something, so they're, they have to spread out their feedings or... Um, they're just a child that doesn't like to take big feedings during the day. So you have to kind of weigh that out. Now, the majority of the babies I'm working with are weaned off of a night feed sometime between six and nine months, um, in a healthy child sometime between there. Some drop their feedings earlier. Sometimes I work with four-month-olds that don't wake up for a night feeding at all. Uh, It just varies so much. But I mean, I think in general, I, you know, you read some of those baby books and they're like, by this age, sleeping five hours means sleeping through the night. I don't go by by that. I mean, in a parent's mind, sleeping through the night means sleeping, not waking up (laughs) until morning. So I don't go by that whole, you know. I think that's the healthiest advice you can give is to say, Every kid is different. Totally. It's kind of a normal range, but there's also kids outside the range, and that can still be normal. So. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, unless there's some real medical reason, by a year old, your you sh- your child should be able to sleep through the night without eating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's solid feedback. So dream feeds. That is mm-hmm. kind of for anybody that doesn't know a, a lot of, well, I'll let you explain it. I'm not an expert. Explain a dream feed and whether you are a fan or not. Sure. Yeah, this is one of those that we kind of, as sleep consultants, we have our own opinions on. So a dream feed is basically a feed that a parent gives before they, typically, before they go to bed. So the baby's already gone to bed. They put them down. Now it's time for mom to go to bed or dad to go to bed. What it means is you go into your child's room, you pick them up while they're quote unquote dreaming, and you nurse or you give them a bottle. It's sort of a way to 
in many parents' head, they think that do, by doing this, they're tanking the child up, they're not going to wake for another feeding. In my opinion, I do not recommend them. And the reason for this is, is actually, in my mind, pretty logical. <laughs> so when a child is sleeping, we don't want to disturb that. They're in a certain level of their sleep cycle. We really don't want to disrupt that because disrupting a sleep cycle can lead to more disruption throughout the night. In addition, our bodies, our metabolisms get used to certain things, right? So say I got hungry at 1130 today and I had lunch at 1130. Probably tomorrow my body would signal to me again, oh, it's 1130. I want to have lunch at 1130. And I'd be like, well, that feels a little early, but I guess I ate lunch at 1130 yesterday. Similarly, this happens with babies. So as much as you might think, okay, the baby's asleep, what you're doing when you feed a baby at that time is you're activating their metabolism and their digestive system. All of our digestive systems go into dormant stage when we go to sleep. This is why in most cases, if you're healthy, you're not waking up to have a bowel movement in the middle of the night. Um, same is true for babies. So, you know, you go in, Maybe for the first few weeks, it's working, baby's not really waking up, whatever. What you'll probably find is that all of a sudden, baby starts waking. If you start, you know, if you miss that feed or something, baby's going to wake. Um, you're also, if that doesn't happen, you are activating their digestive system, which activates the metabolism and s sort of switches up the sleep cycles that they could have been in um, more deeply at that time. So you could be disrupting very deep sleep. The deepest sleep of the night is in the first portion of the night. And so disrupting that is something we want to avoid. So in general, for me, um, I avoid it at all costs. I avoid dream feeds. Gotcha. Well, I never did them because yeah, I was kind of with you that I don't know. It was so hard to get my well, yeah, to I could not fathom I mean, and, the, and possibly waking them up. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, some children, it's like, okay, I'm going to give a dream feed, but then the, the child's awake, and then you're stuck with a child that wasn't even hungry who's wide yeah. awake now. That was my kiddo. So <laughs> yeah. Hope, hard pass on that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'll see you when I see you. So. Right. All right. So sleep props. There is yes. a lot of them. And so I kind of want to go through, I guess, a list of well, of, of what you do like and what you don't. So we'll start mm -hmm. with, I guess, some of the popular ones. Okay. Um, a type. No. Nope. In fact, if you look at their um, FAQ, safety FAQ, they are not designed for sleep. They're not designed for um, solitary sleep. So you would need to be... Um, the, the word is escaping me. Um, monitor. So okay you need to for monitor like a nap time in the room while baby as long as little. as long as mom is watching the child. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I personally am not a fan of anything that may possibly be dangerous. So I don't like docatots. Gotcha. Oh, Mr. Merlin, what what is your opinion on it? So I, I it returned it twice. So. <laughs> twice. My husband, every time I got desperate and ordered it at two a.m. on Amazon, he would we'd see it come in the mail, and he was like, "No." That is so funny. So I actually like the Merlin, but only for a very short amount of time. So I have some babies who have the moral reflex, which is that startle reflex, mm -hmm. and it's just like they need to be out of the swaddle because they're rolling or you know, they've just reached an age when they're breaking out of it, but that startle reflex is still waking them up. Um, so I like the Merlin for basically, it's usually around three months and I want them out of it by five months because it yeah. tends to become, first of all, it tends to become a sleep prop. And second of all, it's very limiting in mobility. So a child shouldn't be rolling over in one of them. Um, and a lot of babies, when they get mobile, sleep well on their bellies. If a baby can get to their belly on their own, then they can sleep there. So if you put, you always want to put your baby down on their back, but if they go to their belly on their own and they've got enough strength to do so, they can sleep there. And a lot of babies sleep better that way. What that I find is, I find, <laughs> yeah. And I find with a lot of people, they're using the Merlin and they're terrified to get rid of it, but they're coming to me. And I said, well, <laughs> you're terrified to get rid of it, but your child doesn't even sleep well in it. What we tend to find is that when we pull the Merlin, the child flips or they're on their side and they sleep much better. So I like the Merlin for that very short amount of time when maybe the baby is, is being woken by that moral re reflex, but I like to get rid of it pretty quickly. 
That makes sense. Um, pacifier. So I hear a lot of parents, my child, like all of these, hated all of these things. So it wasn't a problem. But um, I hear a lot of parents that Passy works for a while and then Passy starts falling out and they mm-hmm. play the pop it back in yep. over and over. So what's your opinion on pacifiers? When to keep, when to ditch? Well, I think you just answered the question. So it's time to ditch them when they become a problem. And I do hear a lot. I know exactly that that passy game where it's like I had this friend one time and she's like, yeah, he's sleeping through the night. He just wakes up every hour and I just have to pop the passy back in. <laughs> and I'm like, that is not sleeping through the night. And I would not be down with that. Um, so I love pacifiers when they when they don't cause issue. So m- there are some babies like my own who they fell asleep. They fall asleep with them. When the pacifier falls out, they don't freak out. And it's it's useful in the very beginning of the of the sleep, for instance. So, um, beginning of nap, beginning of, of um, nighttime, and then eventually they're able to find it on their own when they get old enough and pop it back in if it falls out. <clears throat> so if it's not disturbing sleep in any way, it's not like it falls out. The baby screams. You have to replace it. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. If it's, if the pacifier is waking the child and the child cannot fall asleep or grab it and replace it, um, and it's disrupting the sleep, it's time to pull it. And the thing is with pacifiers is that parents are terrified because obviously if the child has such a reaction to just falling out once, like how can we possibly get rid of it? Honestly, it's usually just one night of frustration and then they're through it. It's it's much scarier for the parents than it is for yeah, the baby. I'm sure. I'm sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, good to know. Um, yeah, thankfully. Well, I don't know if I should thankfully. My kiddo never took one, so I would never, never experience that one. Um, how about white noise? I love white noise. And I use white noise even as an adult. And if you work with adult um, sleep coaches, they will often recommend them. Uh, white noise is just great because it helps block out any unnecessary noise. And so when people come to me, they're obviously struggling. I was just having this conversation the other day with one of my daughter's um, friend's mothers. And we were just kind of talking about what do you do when someone comes to you? And you you have to look at all the possibilities. So when you're working with a baby, for instance, they can't tell you if they're sensitive to sound. (laughs) We just have to assume that they probably are. Mm -hmm. And, um, White noise is super helpful in just eliminating the possibility of, um, of, of having any sort of pin drop wake a child. Uh, it's really helpful if, if you've got siblings in a house. Um, you can even put them in like hallways outside of siblings' rooms so that <clears throat> if you're walking by or if one's crying, it just muffles sounds a lot better. Mm. So I'm a huge fan of white noise and a lot of people, um, I mean, I've, I still have one. Uh, and yeah. people, uh, you know, people, I get clients, when do we stop using it? Well, I'm like, well, I'm 39 and I still use it. So it's kind of up to you. It's um, so funny. My husband <clears throat> complained about it so much. Like he actually didn't want us to use it. He just had this, well, he works in sound and he had some yep. panic about it, like bothering his ears or yep. something. Yep. But he also had this, I don't want him to never be able to sleep unless there's white noise. Like I oddly don't want him to be dependent on it. And then I just cracked up because... My husband insists on us running this loud fan, fan. at night in yes. our room. And right. I'm like, yes. you know you're doing the exact yeah. same thing. And when he thought about it like that, he was like, eh, okay, well, there's yeah. that point. So. Yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I want the same, same sort of thing. And it's like, white noise can follow you anywhere these days. You can get portable white noise. You can use an app on your phone. I mean, there's really no reason why not to use it. If it's going to possibly help, Awesome. Now, if a toddler gets older and they're like, I hate this, shut it off. That's fine. If it's not working, it's not working. But in general, it's extremely rare for me to have a client say it's not working. Yep, totally. How about the snoo? Now, this is one I was way too cheap to ever shell out money for it, nor did it seem normal or humane almost. No, But tell tell us about the snoo. What is it in Japan? I am not a fan. That's a big, big thumbs down for me. Um, First of all, like you said, it's astronomically expensive and first uh, that that just i have a real problem with that um second of all it introduces all sorts of sleep props that you're going to have to deal with later on including uh sleep in motion Mm -hmm. which is 
what, you know, you hear about those people, and including my own parents, they would have to drive me around sometimes just to get me to fall asleep. My and, parents talked about that a lot. Yeah. Too, so interesting. Yeah. And, and that can become a real sleep dependency and a real problem because you're not just talking about some little thing. I mean, motion is pretty intense. So weaning a child off of that is, is, and I've had to do several, you know, do this several times with clients, wean them off the snooze. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is they are, you know, I, I get the whole idea that parents should be reading the instructions, but you're also dealing with new parents. You're dealing with people that are exhausted. The snoo has options to put risers on it, which puts a baby at an incline. And we know that there is no safe incline for infant sleep. So it's shocking to me that this is even allowed. Um, they try to say that it's at a safe incline, but there is no safe incline for baby sleep. Mm, interesting. Well, yep. save your money then. Hire yeah. A sleep consultant, don't buy the snoo. Yeah. Well, and we're much less expensive than the snoo Much as well. less. You could have many, many, many sessions for all your kids for the price of one snoo. There's also the issue of their swaddle. So they have people swaddling until six months and if you read about, I mean, the swaddle is used and the swaddle is also attached to the bassinet. So the child is literally strapped into the bassinet. So it's, it's kind of this weird torture device. Yeah. It freaks me out. Yeah. I I just, I'm not a fan of it. Um, in the AAP, the director of the SIDS task force really says swaddling should stop around eight weeks or when baby starts to roll. So exceeding anywhere beyond three or four months to me is pretty intense with swaddling. So I just, there's so many things about it that just I find shocking and I would not waste money on it. Um, in fact, it, it adds a lot of things, dependencies that you're going to have to undo. And I don't think it's worth it for sleep in three months. If you're at four months, then struggling to get your child out of it. Yeah, you never build those good healthy Ex- habits and behaviors. Exactly. So you're just yeah. going to pay for it now or later. So. Yeah, exactly. Yep. yep, been there, done that. So, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, made that mistake. Mm-hmm. Myth busting, um, sleep regression. So we hear a lot about that. And yeah. just the word regression sounds like they're falling <laughs> backwards. But yeah. from my understanding, that's not exactly it. So can you explain a little bit about a sleep regression and what are the most common ones that you see and any tips to handle this? Sure. So you're right. Um, I always get frustrated with that term regression. I mean, technically, the child is sort of slipping backwards as far as like, you know, I I kind of like to look at it like this. A regression is usually, you know, what is coded as a regression is usually a progression. So the child is usually working on a new physical skill or something cognitive, whether that be language or, um, you know, pincher grasping, things like that. Um, or understanding new concepts. So I hate that we're, we, we label these times as such negative times when they're really exciting times, you know, crawling and learning to pull to a stand and walking and running. These can all cause what I call sleep disruptions um, instead of a regression. It's just, it's just a disruption. There are, it, it, honestly, Ages are, t- are tricky. It's hard. Again, it's hard to assign an age because children develop at different ages. I would say more along the lines of let's look at, you know, what's going on with your child. <laughs> you know, my own child didn't crawl until she was 10 and a half months. That's late. So she didn't have a quote unquote regression at six or seven months because she wasn't working on any new tricks physically at that point. But at 10 and a half months, it was a nightmare. <laughs> Um, so again, when we look at that age, common ages, I will say that, um, the wonder weeks are pretty dead on with cognitive developments and when I tend to see sleep disruption. Now I know the wonder weeks are often sort of in one of those things that people either believe in or they don't, and I get it. But I can tell you anecdotally that they do very closely align with sleep disruptions in children. And that's often when things are going on. New tricks are there, working on new tricks in their brain. Um, Leap five, you know, they talk about the Wonder Weeks mental leaps. So leap five, which is around five and a half to six months, that tends to be a rough time. Um, The other ones that I tend to see trouble is usually around 11 and 12 months. And then again, around 14 and 15 months, another time you're probably going to see some sort of a 
quote-unquote regression is around language development, which typically happens sometime around 18, 19, 20 months. Um, but that, again, can happen at any time. If a child is delayed in any sort of development, physical or cognitive, um, they're going to experience that sleep disruption probably a little bit more than the peers that, that aren't delayed. And that's because their brains are working in overtime. They are trying to catch up. Um, and so sometimes that extends and, and a, a quote-unquote regression can last for several weeks. It's, um, it's not usually just a night or two. It's usually at least a week and could be up to six weeks. My best advice for people is to really try and stay consistent with things. Try not to try new things to help your child because they're probably not going to work. And then you start to go down the rabbit hole of, of starting new habits that are just kind of like, it'll help, it'll just make things spiral out of control. And I get, I get clients like that all the time. It's like, well, you know, he started crawling and then he wouldn't sleep. So we started doing this, that, and the other thing. And now here we are not sleeping at all. So um, consistency is important, and then just also bearing in mind that this is something that's happy, and at the end, it's gonna it's gonna bring you all new things, um, positive yep. things. I think for me, it was always good to, even though it was frustrating for the wake ups, like just to empathize and put myself in his shoes and think totally how quickly they are changing and growing, and it's yeah, crazy. Like it's, it, it's a lot that their little brains or bodies are going through. Yes. So when I just put myself in their shoes and realized like this is a good thing while a little frustrating, like this yes. too shall pass, just like any, any That's other my stage mantra. in their development. That's my mantra, this too yep. shall pass, yep. Yes, it took me probably up till about a year of sleeping to recognize that, you know, these there's going to be these weird weeks or two, yeah. but then things do go back to normal as long as we don't try a million new things and just, exactly. just stay, with, stay with the plan. Yes, so, and once yeah. me and my husband agreed on that and stopped having arguments at 2 a.m. about who's going to yeah, get well, the yeah. baby, it Absolutely. went way better. So, yeah. 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 Um, okay. So a four to six month old baby only waking up, or they're only taking naps and they wake up right around 31 minutes. <laughs> Why yeah. is that normal? And how can we maybe lengthen those short naps during that developmental period? Sure. So yes, it is. It's normal. It's frustrating. Um 31 minutes is likely a shortened sleep cycle for that child. A lot of times when people come to me, they, they can literally put the timer on and they know exactly when their child is going to wake up. It's like 31 minutes or 43 minutes and the baby baby's up. Um, and so, I, you know, I talked about this a little bit before, but having an age-appropriate schedule is so key. And it's difficult because every baby is different. So it's so difficult to say, here's what a four-month-old schedule should look like. Because some four-month-olds still need four naps. Others need three. Um, and some have such a short amount of time during wi which you can put them down that they're going to take a good nap. That if you miss it by five minutes, <laughs> the nap is 31 minutes. So that's where it, it you know, that's where it's, beneficial to work with a sleep consultant to help you figure out exact timing for your own child. But that piece of it, the timing piece is critical. The other piece of it is teaching your child to fall asleep independ independently. So not having sleep crutches or negative sleep crutches at the beginning of the nap, <clears throat> such as feeding or bouncing or rocking, that the child is then expecting to fall back asleep at that 31 minute mark. So th that piece of it is huge. Um, the other thing is like not rushing in to get the child at that 31 minute mark, right? So, you know, babies wake up, we tend to rush right in, you know, giving them a little bit of time, you know, maybe they're going to fall back asleep. The other thing you might want to do is if you don't want to use any sort of formal method, what you can do is I like to use something called what you know, call it crib hour. So if a baby wakes at 31 minutes, you're going to try and soothe them for the next 29 minutes to see if they can fall back asleep. That way, they can start to learn how that they that it's not appropriate for them to just wake up after 31 minutes. If we just go to them every time they wake up, then they're like, oh, well, I don't need to sleep any longer than that. So sort of slowly, gently setting those boundaries and, and helping them to understand, okay, it's not really time to wake up yet. How can I help soothe you back to sleep? Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. Speaking and and of, it's also yeah. important to know too that, sorry, um, yeah, go ahead. 
sleep, daytime sleep consolidation does happen in that time frame. So anywhere from about three and a half to six months is when you start to see it come together. Some babies do it sooner. Others take their time. Some babies are great nappers. Some just hate napping no matter what. Yep. Ah, like so many things with baby, it depends on your child. It just just really does. And I think, again, just to like reiterate that that is so important that we just keep our, I don't know, I guess our expectations in check a little bit and recognize that just because our best friend's kiddo is sleeping through the night at three months or they take free naps that are exactly an hour long, you know, every kid's different and your kid's not broken and you're not necessarily doing anything totally wrong. Correct. And so, you know, I'm sure working with with somebody like you can help um, reinforce that at least. Yeah, there's so much comparison. I mean, I get a lot of people and they're like, I just don't understand why can't my baby? And it's like, listen, you're doing everything okay. Your baby's not broken. Like, let's Mm -hmm. not compare. Let's just not compare. Love that. Okay, so what are signs, you just talked about naps, what are signs um, for when baby might be ready to drop a nap and any tips for those transitions? Sure. So generally, um, well, the most obvious one is they start skipping that nap (laughs) consistently. (laughs) Now, you're probably going to get some times uh, when a child is going to skip a nap. Sometimes during those quote unquote regressions, you will have some struggles with naps. Um, It's important not to rush that transition because it is a huge transition regardless of whether it's from three to two naps um, two to one naps or one to zero naps that's a huge change in their entire metabolism and their entire day so it's important that you know if a child skips their nap two times in a week you're not just suddenly rushing to drop that nap Um, generally speaking though if you start to see the nap one or both naps or, or a couple naps skipped consistently or naps become shorter under an hour um that's those are both some some good signs that you might need to change things up um you also uh may experience some struggles at bedtime or some new overnight wakings or early wake-ups so it's kind of it's kind of an all or you know it's either this that the other or all of the above Mm -hmm. (laughs) skipping short naps trouble at bedtimes trouble overnight maybe in the morning um basically when stuff kind of starts to get wonky that's that's really when you may want to think about it also so you know timing wise generally speaking babies drop from three naps to two naps sometime between six and nine months and I would say it's rare for a nine-month-old to be on three naps generally we're looking at seven around seven or eight months babies are really in that that two nap area the the nap transition where people rush a little too much is that two to one transition and I think I mentioned about you know, 11, 12 months sleep can get wonky. 12 months is usually too early to drop to one nap, but a lot of parents tend to try it. Um, the average age to move to one nap is 15 months. So it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah, that's interesting. You said that because we definitely went through a period, I want to say in the, God, it's so funny how quickly you forget. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't even remember the timeline, but I want to say in the 11 to 12 month, like he, yep. he was seemed like he was moving to one yep. nap. And so we kind of tried it and then he backfired, quickly, all I'm of a sure. Sudden was like, yeah, he became 1030 and he was like, no, it's nap time. For yeah. Me. And it became you know, so hard. So I just had to learn to to also just be okay with being a little flexible. Quite honestly, there yeah. were some days that he obviously needed two naps. And then That's... there was days where we were doing things and he was more flexible. So I just had to let go of like, either we were team two naps, or we were team one nap and like, just be like, this can be gradual, and we can adjust a little day by day. And that's yeah. Okay. And I think it's also important to note that like, if you're experiencing something, and you've tried all these other things, and you're, you're trying to hold on to those two naps, doesn't hurt to try one nap. I mean, if the child's already like skipping a nap or taking two short naps or whatever, if it, and what I would say is if they take the one nap and it's short, just put them to bed early. That'll yeah. compensate for it. So, yeah. you know, we just way overthink it and it's yes. like, okay, the world's not going to Let's end just if try, we try it. This exactly. One day and it doesn't You're not going to break perfectly. the child. Yes, that was that's a good reminder that I certainly needed. Yeah. So. So I receive this question a lot and in babies in that I'd say six to 12 month or even up to like 14, 15 months that are still nursing mm-hmm. and they're waking still two to three nights to nurse or, you know, they, they wake up and, and mom goes in and they want to nurse. So, mm-hmm. um, 
what do you find? Is that habit versus hunger? I know you said every kid's different, so that's totally fine. But I, I'd say these are more frequent, not just like once a night. These are, you know, like two, two or three, three times a night, at least, you know, and, and moms are getting pretty tired at that point. So what's your advice there? Yeah, so <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry about that. You are okay. Um, it does sound like a habit if the child is waking two or three times a night between 12, you know, six and 12 months. Um, it, it's so hard to answer these questions because I, I hate to give advice that someone hears and then just assumes, oh, well, then I should be doing X, Y, Z. I never want to hurt, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. individualized. That being said, the average healthy child that comes to me between six and 12 months really probably only needs one night feed at most in the middle of the night. As long as they're a healthy weight, as long as they're getting the calories they need during the day, which is sometimes something we have to work on. Um, a lot of times we, we, we discover that either a child is uh, reverse cycling. So reverse cycling is like oftentimes when a mom goes to work child doesn't want to take a bottle of breast milk and so they want to nurse all night so working to shift those calories into daytime um you know that that's a big thing and then also just working to remove that nursing piece from being like a lot of times I find nursing to sleep is what's happening at night and so when the child wakes that's what they're looking for so adjusting your routine so that nursing is earlier in the routine and it's not associated as the last thing the child does before they fall asleep, that's one way to, to work through it. Shifting calories into day, daytime is another way to work through it. As far as like a gentle wean, some parents, um, well, like if you're nursing, um, some parents find that if you look at a clock and you slowly start to decrease the amount of time you're nursing the child over the course of a few nights. So like decrease it by a minute every couple of nights when you're down, then you're down to no nursing. Um, you can use some other soothing option at that time. Child is probably going to be upset, but not always. Sometimes they take to it pretty easily. That's one way for nursing. For, for bottles, you would just decrease the bottle by about an ounce every couple of nights until you're no longer giving a bottle. But again, we'd have to look at how is the baby eating during the day? How much are they eating during the day? What does their daytime schedule look like? Because the number one reason for multiple night wakings is an inappropriate schedule during the day. So is the child overtired by the time they go to bed? Um, but generally speaking, you don't. it's not needed for nutritional purposes for yeah. a child to eat two to three times overnight past that yeah. age there might be some other factors that Correct. you want to look at to identify what's yes. going on yep for us it helped to uh send dad in that was yep. our yep our best thing because if mom went in at all um you know that that is obviously what he wanted for comfort but when dad went in and he would soothe him eventually he just kind of stopped waking up because he was like well i'm not getting what i want so yeah. I'm just going to slowly sleep, but yeah. obviously everybody's different. So, all right, well, we are getting close to the end and there's a million questions left. So we're going to cut <laughs> it off with the last few kind of most popular, I'd say, before one year, and then we'll have to have you back on to talk toddler toddlers and absolutely. selfishly uh, get into all of our, you know, coming up. Absolutely. I love so, toddlers. I know. Yeah, it's a whole new adventure. I'm, it I'm is. hearing friends that have kids a little bit older and they're talking about potty training issues yeah, and also yeah. like transitioning into a toddler yeah their kid running amok so yeah we'll, we'll have you back on when definitely I'm down over that so <laughs> absolutely we'll, we'll answer these last two for little ones so sure. teething and sleep what's yeah. the deal is that a you know I hear that a lot my kids teething and waking up so what's your thoughts on it it's a great easy way for us to use teething as an excuse because we have no idea if that's really what it is and a lot of times so generally speaking teething does not cause um prolonged sleep disruption. Pain from teething um, typically is only on day of eruption. So you may find one day <laughs> of all day, you know, of the time they're teething that's actually going to cause them pain. It, it can, well, what I will say is if a child has gastrointestinal intestinal issues, reflux or things like that, the extra mucus can cause some disruption, like some pain for the belly. I find that my reflux or, or GI patients, um, tend to struggle a little bit more. But 
in general, a dose of Motrin or something before bedtime is going to, to handle any sort of quote unquote pain for a teething child. So a lot of times, a lot of times, <laughs> parents will come to me and say, well, he's been teething for two months. And what I, what I always remind people is that children get tw uh, 16 teeth, or is it 20 teeth? It's either 16 or 20 teeth um, in the first two years of life. And so if teething really affected sleep the way parents like to blame it, you know, blame teething, um, they'd never sleep. So what I, what I usually see is that once we work on sleep, they're like, oh, I guess teething really doesn't disrupt sleep. Yeah. <laughs> sleep. It's other things that are going on. My it's husband very... and I look at each other whenever we have a night that he has a random waking or something like that. We, we literally say, quote unquote, teething because yeah. it just makes us feel better. To yeah. Blame it well, on I know. But we I know mean, that's probably because it's like, who knows? I mean, no, honestly, it's so true. And we know. want a reason. We want, yeah. we need as, as humans, we need a reason as to why our child is yeah. doing xyz and not to have a reason makes us feel very uncomfortable it's, and it's I think only for natural me saying, teething makes me again almost more empathetic because I'm sure like, you are hurting and i feel bad for you sure yeah so whether absolutely. it's true or not i'm like i'm sure that's that's the case even though i'm sure 90 percent of the time it's not so yeah but hey um well okay i would say we'll end with our most popular question hmm. early morning wakings yeah what's the deal and what what are the factors you can look at to troubleshoot because i know as you said it's very individual to the situation but what are some of the things you might look at for early morning wakings the number one thing you need to do is make sure your child has blackout shades and it's, it's a simple fact of um, biology actually. So melatonin production is actually controlled by the retina of the eye. Um, when the retina is exposed to darkness, it signals to the brain that it's time to produce melatonin and get sleepy and go to sleep. So back in the day when we didn't have electricity, people fell asleep when, it, when the sun went down and they woke up when the sun came up. And it was entirely biological. It's the way our brain works, and it's all through the retina of our eye. That being said, when it's summer months in particular, and the sun is coming up at, you know, 4.45, 5 a.m., and any sort of natural sunlight starts to come through and creep through the room, uh, if a baby even just slightly opens their eye, or a little kid, they see it, that can be game over. So... And when I say blackout, I mean like cave. You want no light coming in <laughs> at all. Um, so that's the first thing I look at is the environment. The second thing I look at is it sounds counterintuitive, but if bedtime is too late, it will often lead to, lead to an early morning. And what would you consider too late? What's kind totally of an totally varies? Okay. No, I, I can't even give. I can't even because a lot of times too late is just simply the the wake time is too long between the last nap and bedtime and that varies so greatly. So if a child goes to bed overtired is a better way to say it. If a child is going to bed overtired, then it's more likely that they will wake up early. If you get a child down before they're overtired, they're more likely in fact many times they'll sleep later than uh, than normal. So that is the schedule thing is huge. The other piece of it is early morning wakings can occur if um, I count the other way, if bedtime is too early and you just have a child who I think I mentioned some children will only sleep, say, 10 hours overnight, no matter when you put them down to bed. So they may seem overtired and you want to put them down early, but if you put them down early, it's leading to an early wake up and then, you know, the cycle continues, continues because they're exhausted mm -hmm. by the time um, nighttime rolls around. So it's kind of looking at a child's overall sleep needs in a 24-hour period again and then dispersing that appropriately. The other thing to remember, though, is that there are even adults that wake up early and it's just their natural rhythm. So I definitely have clients whose babies are, and children are just naturally early risers. Um, so we always have to account for that as we put together their schedule, knowing that no matter what we do, they're going to wake up at 530. That's funny. Yeah, I have a friend who um, her kiddo wakes up between 615 and 630 every day, which I know for most is like, I don't want them to wake up that early. But that's actually trying, normal. It's not awful. Yeah, I kind of yeah. had to tell her that. But she is a not a morning person. She's yeah. a night person. So yeah. I think to her, it's just like utterly insane that her child would wake up at that time. So she's tried everything. And I was like, 
And her child's almost two now, and she still complains yeah. about it. And I'm like, I think that's just when your kid wants to wake up. I know well, that's, that's the not thing, conducive and I, for you, but sorry. I think, like, uh, understanding what early morning really is is mm-hmm. also, I mean, yeah, the, in, in our early? world, yeah, in the sleep consulting world, pre-6 a.m. is early. Mm-hmm. Um, 6 a.m. and later is kind of fair game, unfortunately. It's just mm-hmm. kind of the nature of the way children's rhythms work you mean they don't just work on our schedules all the time i mean i i know i know i always tell people because people would be like well how do i get them to sleep till seven and i'm like if i could get babies and children to sleep until seven i'd be a billionaire Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know every baby and child is is has their own rhythm and and it is fair game after 6 a.m so yeah just go to bed earlier I know. Yep. Well, that's what me and you do. <laughs> Hence why we're recording yes. during nap time. And exactly. We, we were going to record and we were like 8.30 and we were both that's kind of like, late. that's late. Yeah. I'm like we toast at that sleep. point. Exactly. So, well, as you can see, we both value our sleep. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. As I said, we appreciate all the questions. I know we didn't get to everything, but we could have you on here for 10 hours and not get to all the topics of baby sleep, which is why your input and um, education and advice is so valuable. So thank you again for your time today. And will you share with everybody um, what services you offer and where they can connect with you if they are interested in finding more? Absolutely. So I actually have a team of, well, there are 13 of us in total. Um, So there are plenty of us to go around for everybody that's tired. We generally have a package. Our our main package is a two-week package, and it comes with a full customized written sleep plan that's delivered to each client and is individualized. And then we work with our clients for two weeks, um, one-on-one, generally by email, Sometimes we add in phone calls if necessary, but most of our clients are too busy to get on phone calls, to be honest. But we stay in really close contact because our goal is to make sure you're getting the sleep that you need. We need to know how your child is doing as you're implementing the plan. Plus, we need to give cheerleading along the way. Mm -hmm. So two weeks together, and by the end of the two weeks, you're sleeping really, really well, and so is your kid. Then you're added to our Facebook support group for continued support. As you go along this parenting journey, um, you know, people will tag me that, ah, the kid skipped a nap, you know, five years down the line. What do I do? I, I seriously have people that have been with me for five years that are still, you know, stuff happens. Kids change. So. Well, they're not robots. And no, exactly. I remind myself of a lot is I think like even the term sleep training and all that, it's like people assume, myself included at times, that you program your kid and once they're programmed, yeah, they're no. fixed. And no. that's just not the way it works. No, they yeah, change, they grow. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I want to make sure my, my, everyone feels supported when they are quote unquote graduated with us. So, um, yeah. So, oh, and you can find me at expecttosleep.com. I'm on Instagram at expecttosleepagain. On Facebook, expecttosleepagain. So find us there. All the good stuff. Well, yeah. thank you again for coming on. This was a lot of fun. And thank you all for listening and uh, sending us your questions. That was really fun to be able to ask Ariel. And thanks for joining. We will talk to you guys again soon. Thank bye. you so much. Yeah, bye.